Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. This is Florida Matters. I'm Steve Newborn. Last Friday, the traditional hanky was dropped in the rotunda of the state capitol in Tallahassee, signifying synodia, the end of the session. But what a session this has been. As the doors to the capitol were closed to most outsiders because of the pandemic, lawmakers did little to address the problem except for preventing businesses from being sued and outlawing vaccine passports. This would prohibit businesses, schools, and government agencies from requiring people to show documentation certifying they've been vaccinated. But lawmakers did act with gusto on a variety of social issue bills. These included the so-called anti-riot bill, curbs on voter registration, and a slew of preemption bills, which included blocking local governments from regulating energy sources to big cruise ships slipping into Key West. So we're going to take a further look at the highlights, as well as the lowlights, with Zach Anderson. He's political editor with the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Welcome to Florida Matters, Zach. Hey, Steve. Good to be back. All right. Good to have you here. All right, Zach, there was more than our share of contentious bills passed this year, so let's start with the big one, the anti-riot bill. Now, this was passed in the wake of the Capitol insurrection, but it goes back a lot farther than that, right? Yeah, this was really discussed right after the Black Lives Matter protests over the summer uh, following George Floyd's death. Um, you know, there was obviously some some rioting and looting that occurred in parts of the country, uh, not as much in Florida, but there was some in, in some of the bigger cities in Florida and Tampa and uh, Jacksonville, Miami. And so, you know, there was there was some pushback here. There was a really divergent response amongst Republicans and Democrats. Obviously, there's been a big focus on police reform, um, you know, among uh, uh, Democrats and many social justice advocates. But on the right, there's been a big pushback against that, um, you know, what, what they view as, as uh, you know, anti-police or, um, you know, not sufficiently supportive of police. And so DeSantis really promoted this anti-riot bill that would um, put new penalties for on uh, protesters who are involved in demonstrations uh, that turned violent. And as a, a sign of how important it was to him, it was the first bill uh, that he signed uh, before the legislative session was even over. Yeah, this includes a lot of uh, contentious uh, items, including um, really reducing penalties on people that might drive into a crowd that's in a street, right? So a lot of people are calling this an anti-democracy bill, but that didn't seem to phase the legislature very much, did it? Yeah, critics have really uh, said that this will put a damper on peaceful protests. There's a concern that um, you know, you could you could be involved in a, a protest that starts peacefully and then you have one bad apple who does something, uh, you know, smashes a window or, or something. And then all of a sudden that becomes a, a non-peaceful protest and, and that a, a lot of people could get swept up to that, into that who had no intention of doing anything bad. And um, so there's there's people who worry that this will make people hesitant to engage in protests because they're, they're worried about what might happen 
or that uh, when people do protest that, you know, that people who are not intending to do anything bad uh, will will get uh, lumped in with those who might do some some things that break the law. Right. I guess the the fear here is that people are kind of standing around, just kind of watching. They could be swept in with everybody else. If somebody throws a you know a bottle at a police officer, they can be you know uh, charged as as an accessory too. Um, is this facing any kind of legal challenge, or do you think it might in the courts? Almost certainly, it, it is likely to be challenged. Um, you know, groups like the the ACLU and others have questioned whether this was a suppression of free uh, free speech. Obviously, the right to protest is one of the most fundamental rights. I mean, that we have in this country to address our grievances against uh, those in power. And um, so, uh, yeah, there there are uh, lots of questions. Obviously, people don't have the right to destroy other people's property or harm other people. And if, you know, it can be argued that this has a, a chilling effect on free speech, uh, I think that is the argument that uh, critics are going to make in court. All right. Well, speaking of chilling effects, uh, another one of the contentious bills was the election bill places restrictions on voting by mail. You know, supporters say this you know, addresses some security issues such as the use of drop boxes for mail-in ballots, and they say it's to, uh, you know, ensure election security and integrity. Do you foresee any backlash nationally, like what happened after Georgia passed some similar bills that were a little, little harder core? I don't think that'll happen as much here in Florida. We don't, we don't, first of all, we don't have as many of the big corporations that have those big national brands that where, uh, you know, people are putting pressure on uh, some of the Coca-Cola and and Atlanta or some of these other big brands that, uh, and, and I just, you don't see that, you know, corporate activism as much in Florida around some of these issues. So I don't know. And it's also this bill is not considered uh, as aggressive in terms of you know changes to voting uh, rules as what we saw in Georgia. So I, I don't I don't think so. I mean, what what has happened in the past is when the Florida legislature has put some new restrictions on voting, cutting back on early voting days, things like that. That's kind of blown up in their face. You know, we we're, they they did cut back on early voting during a previous election. And then there were some huge long lines of people waiting in, for hours. Um, and it was a bit of a fiasco. And then they went back and had to, to uh, change that and, and expand the early voting again in the face of public pressure. So if there is a reaction, it probably would come from the implementation of these laws and people pushing back against them because they're they're viewed as onerous. Um, so we'll have to see how onerous they really are and whether they cause people to revolt to some degree. One thing that's really telling about this law is that the supervisors of elections don't want it. They they came out before the law was passed, and many of these supervisors are Republicans. I talked to the Republican supervisor of elections in Sarasota County and Manti County. Both of them said this law wasn't needed. Um, you know, they came out of uh, the, the head of the supervisor of elections association, Craig Lattimore, uh, there in Hillsborough County, came out with a letter after the law was passed and said this, you know, this basically wasn't needed and it'll make it harder for people to vote by mail. And so that that is telling. I mean, the people who are doing elections for a living, who know the most about it, uh, many of whom are Republicans don't don't see the need for this. Don't think that the changes are warranted. Think that they're going to um, make it more difficult for people 
to vote. And so if, it, if, it, if this does cause big problems, I think the supervisors might be some of the first people to express concerns about it and maybe ask for changes, uh, you know, uh, the next time around. So obviously the impetus didn't for this didn't come locally. I mean, the elections went off without a hitch. We were probably one of the shiny examples in the whole country during the recent election, which was kind of a new thing for Florida, right? Uh, so this is part of a national push by Republicans to uh, what they say is bolster security at the polls, but it might have other implications as well. Yeah, if you if you talk to GOP base voters, I just recently went to a rally in Bradenton that um, featured Michael Flynn, the former national security advisor to President Trump, and Roger Stone is obviously famous. And I talked to a lot of people at that rally, and the biggest issue to them is, you know, they believe these unfounded claims that the, there was widespread election fraud and that Trump was cheated and robbed and voter uh, integrity uh, addressing election fraud, even though there is no evidence that, that has been accepted by a court of law that says that there was a lot of fraud. That is the animating issue for many Republicans right now, especially uh, some of Trump's most ardent supporters. And so you're seeing uh, Republican legislatures respond to that and pass uh, some of these uh, laws that um, are being pitched as voter integrity efforts and which critics view as you know voter suppression efforts, basically making it harder for people to vote uh, in an effort to um, you know make it more likely that Republicans win elections in some of these states uh, going forward. One of the big words that came out of the state capitol this year was preemption. Uh, You know, proponents say these laws and rules should be uniform throughout the whole state, but opponents say Tallahassee is becoming kind of a big brother stomping on local initiatives. Let's go into some of the the preemptions that they they passed this year. Uh, First one, uh, they allowed guns in churches, right? Yeah, that was the, the, you know, usually during the legislative session, there usually are some pro-gun bills. And this was the, the big one that got passed uh, this year. And it's, it's one that lawmakers have been pushing for a number of years. These are, these are churches that are connected to schools. So it's sort of related to the after uh, Parkland, the Parkland shooting. There was a push, obviously, on one side for gun control and on the other side, there was actually a push to expand gun rights with the the idea that, you know, if more average people are armed, they'll be able to stop shooters and uh, specifically school shooters. And so there was a push to allow people to carry guns in churches that are connected to schools. And I think this was partly, a you know, what, what being pitched as a, a school safety proposal, um, you know, to have, you know, after Parkland, there was a bill that had some modest gun restrictions, but it also allowed these so-called guardians to be in schools where, you know, you could arm school personnel. So uh, I think this is some somewhat of a, a, an extension of that. But yeah, it, it expands, um, you know, where people can carry guns in Florida. All right. A big one also is regulating of energy policy. You know, as you know, a lot of cities and counties have been promoting the use of green energy, uh, promoting solar energy, that sort of thing. And this kind of puts limits on that. Can you talk a little bit about that at all? The utility companies in the state don't like a lot of you know local utility rules, uh, and and they have uh, a lot of influence in the legislature. So uh, you know you, you you do see this where if if people are trying to 
expand solar, rooftop solar, some of these things. Uh, utility companies uh, view that as a threat. They're not necessarily against solar. You see Florida Power and Light and other uh, utility companies you know, doing solar in the state, but they want to control it. They want it centralized. They want it on a large scale. Uh, you know, efforts to to do more decentralized stuff, doing stuff at the municipal level and things like that, uh, that often faces resistance from the, the large utility companies. Right. And uh, well, another one was the uh, the the bill to um, regulate seaports. Right. I believe this affects uh, cruise ship lines that go into certain seaports like St. Petersburg is one, but it really only affects Key West. Right. And this kind of was shot down in the last week, yeah. but amazingly it slips in at the last minute and that got passed too, right? Yeah, this was really one of the most interesting bills of the session in a lot of ways. You know, you you have a, a referendum. Anybody who's been to, to Key West, you know, uh, when the cruise ships dock, you just have a ton of cruise ship passengers that come off and they all swarm into the downtown part of, of Key West. And and so, you know, the, the, some of the locals, um, they, they, I think the, there was a sentiment there that that had kind of gotten out of control and that the, it was sort of detracting from, from the city. And they voted uh, in a referendum. I'm not sure the exact details of the referendum, but I think it was they basically voted to ban cruise ships of a certain size. You know, I think they still allow some smaller ships or medium sized ships or um, but I don't know all the details of it, but basically they were putting new restrictions on cruise ships, I guess probably some in the business industry down in Key West and like it, some of the port operators and people who are making money off of these uh, big cruise ships. And they prevailed on law, uh, Republican lawmakers to push a bill. It, it initially started off as a bill that would preempt all local control of, of uh, ports. Uh, and But then, you know, that I think that they started off kind of covering everybody, but really the target was Key West. And eventually the, the bill got pared down to just Key West. And, and uh, you know, it was, it looked like it wasn't going to pass. Uh, it had a, a lot of criticism that this was taking away local control and, and, uh, and really stifling the, the voices of, of people who live in the city of Key West who want to be able to control the destiny of their own city. You know, Republicans, uh, the sponsor argued that the people who live in Key West are not necessarily representative of the broader community. Monroe County, a lot of people who work in Key West live outside of Key West because it, they can't afford to live in Key West. It, it is uh, you know, a, a, an expensive place to live. So people live off of the island um, and that this, this referendum was not, I, I mean, one lawmaker even made the argument that it's undemocratic, even though a majority of people voted, but that it, it did not represent, uh, you know, kind of the broader community. And so, um, you know, that was the pushback, basically, that this was going to hurt business and going to hurt the workers there. And uh, in the end, they were able to slip it through. Yeah, Zach, this is really an illustration of a much bigger um, uh, concern in Tallahassee. You know, in in the past, uh, conservatism, quote unquote, has really been defined as small government. And this, a lot of people say this is the antithesis of that. This is this is a big government, you know, big footing on the local governments, the adage that the um, local is closest to the people. Do you think this is a sea change on the, you know, from Republicans or whether this is part of a broader thing that's been happening for years? 
I think it's just a power thing. I mean, people use whatever arguments they want to make. Um, you know, people who want to keep, <laughs> want to have their way at the local level say we need local control, and at the state level they say, well, we need more standardization. And if the, but I, I think a lot of it comes down to you have a Republican-controlled legislature that wants to push Republican um, ideas, and at the local level, it's often Democrats who are in control of city government. Uh, you know the. Um, you know, more Democrats live in urban areas. And so uh, I think it's really more of a liberal versus conservative thing in a lot of ways, um, you know, that basically uh, Republicans just don't like some of these policies and they have control of Tallahassee and they're able to preempt them. And so they do. And, and I think it's just a pure power play in a lot of ways. We're talking with Zach Anderson, the political editor with the Sarasota Herald Tribune. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Steve Newborn. We're talking with Zach Anderson, the political editor with the Sarasota Herald Tribune, about the legislative session that just wrapped up in Tallahassee and the future of politics in the state. Well, the session has ended, but uh, lawmakers aren't done yet. Uh, they're going to return to Tallahassee in a couple of weeks to consider a, uh, a proposed gambling deal that the governor reached with the Seminole Tribe of Florida. This is called a uh, compact it would allow sports betting in Florida, and they say it could bring in a lot of money. Um, what do you think the chances of this being passed are? Well, they look a lot better than they have. I mean, there's always talk of these gambling deals, but it seems to be one of the most difficult things to pull off in Tallahassee. You have a lot of big money involved and a lot of different interests and uh, different groups that are uh, lobbying on this. You have the, the Seminole Tribe. Um, you know, which wants to maintain uh, its monopoly on certain casino games, you know, blackjack and and uh, things like that, which are very lucrative. And then you have these paramutual, the horse tracks, the former, the greyhound tracks, which, you know, there's no longer greyhound racing, but the, those greyhound tracks, they still have gambling permits that allow them to do poker and um, some things there. So, you know, you, you have these different interests and they're, they're all, they're fighting for a piece of the pie and they all want to they make some money. And then you also have groups like Disney who, you know, they don't want to see people going to these um, gambling places. They want to see people coming to their family uh, entertainment, uh, you know, and having the business conferences at, at Disney and not at, uh, you know, some hotel attached to a casino and, there's a lot of big money players involved and and it's a these deals tend to be very difficult to pull off but the fact that they've put up a special session they they don't really do that unless they have a deal in hand and so it does seem like this is likely to happen and it looks like that's because everybody is benefiting to some degree the the paramutuals are are getting a piece of um, sports betting but all of the bets have to go through the Seminole tribe and they get a cut of all that. And then the Seminole tribe, they're, they're able to expand some of their gambling, some of their um, casino games. And right now they have blackjack, but, but they would be able to get craps and roulette under, under this deal. And so it looks like they're trying to, you know, make it a win-win for all the gambling interests uh, in the state and a win for the state in terms of, you know, the, there's billions of dollars in, in new revenue that would come to Florida through this. The Seminole Tribe 
had not been paying their revenue sharing uh, because they said the state had um, broken its deal by allowing some of these paramutuals to do things that originally they weren't allowed to do. And so the state hasn't been getting that money to help supplement the state budget. But uh, under this deal, the state would be getting uh, a lot of money annually. Uh, and, and it's also interesting, I don't know, the, the politics of it maybe align better now. Governor DeSantis is a little bit more of a libertarian. I don't know that he cares as much about gambling, the, the social um, ills of gambling that, that some Republicans might be against. Um, my, my sense is that DeSantis maybe is not as much of concerned about the social issues involved in, uh, in gambling. So maybe this was an easier deal. Yeah, but there there is a little wrinkle here. This would could run afoul of a constitutional amendment that was passed by the voters a couple of years ago that says any expansion in gambling has to come up for a statewide vote. Now, you know, the legislature has treated constitutional amendments as kind of a minor annoyance in the past in certain things. Um, this might come up for a statewide vote in this case. Do you have any inkling about that? Yeah, it, it certainly seems like there's some legal hurdles that they have to overcome. But the fact that it's gotten this far, you know, th- there's people who are experts in gambling that are advising on this and obviously legal experts. And so they must believe that they can get it through somehow. I, I mean, it's it's probably pretty likely that it could face a legal challenge. And I guess it'll partly depend on how the deal is, is structured as to whether it complies with that constitutional amendment. That constitutional amendment, though, I think was really the aim of it was to prevent a lot of new casinos from sprouting up, you know, full-blown casinos with all the table games and slots and all that and everything that you associate with a casino. This doesn't really do that. It allows the Seminoles to expand their casinos a little bit and offer new games, but the big thing that that it does is that it legalizes gambling on sports games, and um, I, I don't, you know, so they'll have to decide if if that is you know within the the legal confines of the constitutional amendment. But I have a feeling that they they think that they can structure it in a way to survive a legal challenge, or they wouldn't be doing it. <clears throat> All right, it sounds like it's a good bet that this is going to eventually become law. So the future of politics is looking pretty good, Zach, for Governor Ron DeSantis. He practically got all his proposals passed, including the curbs on protesters and voting like we just talked about, fining social media companies that ban politicians, expanding vouchers for private schools. He basically got everything he was looking for, didn't he? I would say for the most part, he did at least all the the big things that he was pushing for and, and uh he has, he already had uh, you know very strong support amongst the GOP base. If you talk to um, you know average Republicans in Florida, you know they like how he handled the pandemic. Um, they like that he you know after the initial lockdown that he was hesitant to to impose new lockdowns. Um, they like that he kept schools open. Um, you know they like that for the most part after the initial business closure closures that he tried to keep businesses open um, in general. So I think, um, you know, based on his um, less uh, restrictive approach to COVID-19, you know, that that has won him a a lot of fans within uh, the Republican base. And I I think this session will strengthen his hand with the Republican base. He really pushed the the most 
pressing issues for them. I mean, people will argue that these are not the most pressing issues. You know, Democrats certainly don't think these are the most pressing pressing issues for the state, but they are. If you uh, you know, uh, I mentioned earlier this rally that I went to with with Mike Flynn and Roger Stone, and the three big issues that came up were these unfounded claims of election fraud, the uh, concerns about uh, President Trump being banned from Twitter and other conservatives being banned from social media companies over allegations that they were promoting uh, inflammatory uh, comments, um, and some of the concerns about you know backing the blue and, and rallying around uh, police who they argue are being unfairly maligned during some of these racial justice protests. And DeSantis delivered on all three of those things with his you know, quote unquote, anti-riot bill with his with the election bill that that uh, got pushed forward and with the, the big tech bill that he pushed forward. And uh, a lot of people, I think, view this as as uh, an effort for him to lay some groundwork for not only the 2022 reelection campaign, but potentially 2024 presidential race, which he's getting a lot of buzz about. So, um, you know, this this was a good session for him from a political standpoint with um in terms of stoking uh, Republican enthusiasm for him, which I think already has been considerable. Uh, Charlie Crest has already announced he's running for governor again. The uh, current Democratic congressman from St. Petersburg is one and one, batting 500 when it comes to races for governor. And the last time he won, he was a Republican. Zach, do you think he's got a chance at upping that average? And, and who else is in, really in the front runners here for the Democratic nomination for governor? He certainly got a chance. I mean, this is Florida. Anything can happen. And, and he's well known. Uh, you know, he, he's certainly amongst uh, the Democrats that are considering running, I think, is, is, is uh, by far the best known. He's run two uh, statewide races for governor, uh, won a race for governor. He's also run two uh, multiple other statewide races for U.S. Senate, for education commissioner uh, twice, I think. You know, he ran for attorney general and one. So his name has been on the ballot. Uh, you know, he's got maybe more baggage than, than other candidates. You know, um, some people might not like the idea that he's flipped between parties. Uh, he's considered more of a moderate. So that could, you know, be a challenge for him in a democratic primary. You saw that the candidate who was nominated, uh, the last time around, Andrew Gillum, um, for, for the Democrats put forward for governor, um, against, DeSantis was the most liberal candidate out there. So progressives have a lot of momentum in the party. Um, it's, it's moved to the left. I don't know if, if Charlie Crist uh, embodies that. And, you know, I think he'll make the case that uh, that he he's more better prepared to win the general election and, and move to the middle. Um, I, I, I think that he, he certainly got a shot. And, uh, you know, some of the other big names that are being discussed are Nikki Freed, the Florida Agriculture uh, Commissioner, the only statewide elected uh, Democrat, Val Demings, a uh, congresswoman from the Orlando area, former police chief in Orlando, and, and uh, someone who got a lot of attention um, you know, during the Trump impeachment trials. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's some other state lawmakers who have you know, talked about throwing their hat in the ring as well. So you could see four, five, six candidates, potentially, a, a, you know, a, a pretty good sized primary and somebody could win with a relatively 
a small percentage of the vote. Um, Gillum did not, you know, he didn't get a majority of the vote by any means. So, um, you know, it makes for some interesting dynamics there going forward. Um, it'll be a, a competitive Democratic primary. All right. Zach Anderson is political editor of the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been quite a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks to all your listeners. And that's Florida Matters for this week. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Steve Newborn. Thanks for listening.